Zai is an alumni and mentor of the Women's Leadership Academy of the U.S. Department of State. She was nominated for the Most Compassionate Woman Entrepreneur Award, awarded the Kindness Advocate and Ambassador of Volk, which is the Voice of Loving Kindness by Singapore Kindness Movement, and conferred as the 101 Most Fabulous Global Coaching Leaders of 2020 by the World HRD Congress. And she is recognized as iconic woman creating a better world for all in March 2020 at the Women Economic Forum. Despite her success momentum, little is known of the tragedy that struck her in April 2005 when she was 25 years old. After painful recovery from an incident that broke her spine and almost rendered her paralyzed, Zai's determination for the comeback redefined her life's mission and that became a driving force for her to positively impact humanity. During her recovery, Zai knew that she had to step up even when it means having to learn to walk all over again. Zai joins us today. She shares her story and also how she empowers others, how she managed to overcome her fears and doubts and a framework that she used to turn any obstacles of pain into power. She has recorded her comeback journey through a semi-autobiography styled book titled Turn Your Passion Into Profit, as well as Five Things I Love About Being a Woman, both best-selling books on Amazon. So she reflects on how far she has come and she also shares some tidbits on how you can find, you know, respect and trust for yourself and looking inward as well. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. I really enjoyed Sai's energy. Her story is always incredible to hear and she is just fearlessly graceful. Hi guys, my name is Zai, I'm from Singapore and this is the start of how I am on my step-up journey. So Janiki, thank you for having me. So at 21 years old, you left Singapore to go to Japan, to Tokyo for two weeks to set up a henna store and then ended up staying six months. So how yes. did a two-week trip go to a six-month stay? What happened at the store? Okay, so basically I graduated from school. I'm not a school dropout. <laughs> so in school, I used to be a makeup artist, henna artist. I do a lot of modeling and stuff many, many, many years ago. So how did I end up in Japan first? So I met a friend, a stranger friend who became friends. Say, hey, you know what? You should bring henna art to Japan. You'll make it big. And I'm like, really? Wow, okay. So she said, let's go for two weeks and see what happens. And then we arrived. It was still winter cold I was expecting yeah. to do street art and stuff in Harajuku and Shibuya in Tokyo and however I had an opportunity to uh, do events henna art at, at events okay. they had a lot of indoor events during winter like uh, they call it the let's get together LGT party let's get together so okay. a lot of foreigners and locals meet so I got to do henna art at the event and then people requested that can you teach us this art the Japanese and the foreigners. Okay. So I said, okay, why not? So I started teaching it. So it was basic workshop, professional henna classes. And that led to media interviews. Uh, I was interviewed by Tokyo FM, the magazine, on TV. And why would I want to go back? Yeah. I was a superstar in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> you made it big in Japan, like the song. I made it big in Japan. Exactly. Like totally. So why would I want to leave? I was starting to make money and I was teaching henna art to like professionals, like directors of radio station, working people, couples, not just like women, like yes. husband and wife. It was an activity for bonding activity. I'm like, wow, 
So technically, I'm proud to say that my Mystic Hannah and Body Art Company started in Japan first. Yes. And then, and then when I went back to Singapore. Yes. Yeah. So when I went back to Singapore, I was had this like, oh my God, I love Japan, the people, the culture. I want to set up a Hannah school there because I saw success and opportunity. So I went back to Singapore and then uh, media picked up our news that, oh, two Singaporean girls brought Hannah to Japan. And suddenly we became celebrity, uh, celebrity henna artists in Singapore. Again, media, media, media. Uh, we had two years in advance, uh, bridal henna booking, yes. booking for corporate events. People wanted to learn from me and all. And I'm like, got stuck in Singapore. But it was good. Still making money. Yes. So sometimes I think the lesson of this I'd like to share with the audience is sometimes you feel stuck and trapped somewhere. You can actually just step out, get something done, come back. And magic will happen. Yes. Like take the first step first. Yes. Yeah. I'm assuming at 21, you didn't even think about starting a henna stall or workshop or anything. What did you think your future was going to be as a profession? I don't know. I just knew I love, I wanted to travel. I knew I couldn't. So at 7, 18, I went for a school internship. Uh, and three months I had to be in an office. The first week I knew I was not going to work yeah. in an office. So at 18, I knew this. I'm like, I'm not going to sell my soul to the devils. It will kill my creativity. So I just knew that I was not going to be stuck in an office. Um, nothing against nine to five. Honestly, yeah. if I give her a choice, I would want to go into corporate world right now to experience it. And I was like, no, no, no. I said, because I haven't. But with the entrepreneurial mindset and what I'm at, I would love to give it a go. But mm. well, I decided that was not it. So I always found business opportunities to turn my passion into profit yes. from Hannah. And then I met an accident. I had to, I was bedridden for a while. I had yes. to learn how to find opportunities to start a business from home yes. because I couldn't go out to work. Yes. Doctors gave me a letter of permanent disability and I have eight screws. Two metal rocks yeah. on my spine. So now. just just to quickly touch on that, it was at 25 that you had this traumatic uh, car crash. Yes. And yeah. it actually broke your spine. And like you Fracture said, you yeah. it was permanently disabled. So what went through your mind during the recovery process? When the accident happened, I just told myself, oh my God, I cannot die. I'm not ready to die. My mom, my, my mom need me. Like I cannot die. Like that was all on my head. Um, I think the earlier stage was I was still in denial. Like I'm like, uh, and doctors even said I will not be able to walk again even after the operation. Ninety five percent chance, no walking. But I was bored on the hospital yeah. bed. I couldn't take it, and I'm like, get me out of this. Like I want to try. Like let me. So I had to learn how to walk again. Yeah, I had to learn how to yeah. walk again. Could you still use but your hands, or was it just the legs? Uh, it could have been neck down paralysis. Oh, wow. Could have been. But I was bedridden. I could use my hands, yeah. Yeah. Like at the time, but I was bedridden. I was on self-control morphine. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And now I laugh. <laughs> of course, now I laugh. Yeah. yeah. And how long did it take you to recover? What was going through your mind while you were recovering and doing yeah. the physiotherapy? So what, uh, physio uh, took me... Uh, I didn't know how to walk. I had to ask the nurses, like, uh, she said, okay, walk. I'm like, how do I walk? That was my first question. Imagine how we take such things for granted, right? Yeah. So crazy. And then it took me about six months to eight months. Then I was still very dependent on a uh, wheelchair. My, I had a cast. I 
had my rib guard and stuff. But a year into the accident, I remember asking myself, why didn't I just die from the accident? What, why, why am I still alive? What is this life? I started questioning God so much. Mm-hmm. Like, God, what do you want me to do? What is this? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah. And that was my journey of uh, running back to God, I guess. This is something uh, very personal, but I'll share it. I eventually learned that we can think that we are doing everything on our own. We have yeah. the power, we have the knowledge, we have the strength, we have the uh, creativity. But without his will, we can't even lift up our hands. Mm. Yeah, this is something that uh, I keep reminding myself every single day. I think this is something is we forget, right? Of course we forget. We're like, oh, we think we're in control. We want to do this. We want to do that. We hope for things, but like recently I posted something on my Facebook rejection is a redirection it's yes. God, God's way of crystallizing the clarity of our path to him yeah so to me the accident was God's way of crystallizing the clarity of my path to him because if that didn't happen I would still be traveling I mean I still travel the world I'm living in Dubai though now and um, I would be I think I would be so lost So that's a beautiful message, but I know that also one of your other messages that you often talk about and you put forward is about turning your pain into power. So how did you use this accident, turning this pain into power? Yeah, so very good question. Uh, So that is like a mantra, right? Turning pain into power is something that I live by and I also do keynote speaking on those topics. So um. When I knew I couldn't go out to work, I had a letter of permanent disability. I asked myself, what could I do from home? Mm. So then that was my journey, starting to learn about the religion. I wanted to start wearing the hijab and I couldn't find any nice hijab fashion out there 15 years ago. Now we have culture hijab fashion, yes, but yes. yeah, before nothing. So I said, okay, uh, and I had a chance to travel a bit. I found some stuff. This thing that I'm wearing is something I first saw. And I found it because I thought, hey, this solves my problem. I feel good. I look good. So I put it up online and then started my online business from home. My first five minutes, I made $25. And I'm like, dude, this works. Let's yeah. yeah. <laughs> first five minutes, $25. I'm like, okay, there is something. And, and it grew into a full-fledged home boutique because I turned my house and my room into a boutique and from hijab to dresses to men's clothes, women's clothes, kids' clothes, da, da, da. and yeah. it was so fun. And I actually uh, also empowered other women who were staying at home, not just in Singapore. Um, I had clients from BVI, British Virgin Islands, Caribbean, uh, clients from New Zealand, um, other parts of the world, who I then eventually, you know, B2C to B2B model, I started yeah. supplying yeah, materials and stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. And, so cool that was one and then yeah it led to other stuff I got bored and I'm like I want to travel I want to learn Arabic um so I went to Jordan Morocco Yemen for two years so the process of learning was so hard and again this is another way of how I turned pain into power right the process of learning was so hard in Singapore I tried learning was impossible because you don't get to immerse and practice the language because I'm like how come in Japan I could speak uh, Japanese in one month like it's crazy. Why? Because you're surrounded by it. Yes, exactly. The immersion. So I was in Jordan, Morocco, Yemen to learn. It was so difficult. I cried every single day after oh, school. No. <laughs> I cried. I'm like, oh my God, this is so stupid. This is so difficult. And, but I promised myself, I said, when I can do it, I am going to create a read, write, speak Arabic program. And I'm going to teach it to people. 
And truly, like after my trip from Yemen, I came back to Singapore. I was teaching business con Arabic business conversation to okay. the students. I'm like, yay! Yeah, yeah wow. <laughs> Going from crying every day to teaching Arabic business conversations, quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is this one. So there's always uh, a saying, there is, it's in the Bible, the Quran, something I also hang on to. God will never burden us with what we cannot carry. Yeah. So yeah, I love that thing. When did you get inspired to write your first book, that turning your passion into profit? Yeah, so... um. So I was in Jordan, Morocco, Yemen. In the last week in Yemen, my mom was like, can you please come home? Enough of traveling. Like, alas, come home. Can you come back home, please? We miss you. (laughs) No, no, she she used uh, emotional blackmail. She said, uh, when I pass on, you can travel the world all you want. Now come home. I need you at home. I'm like, okay. So, yeah. So I came back. So what inspired me to write my first book was... um, I had lots of people writing to me on my Facebook within that period when I came back. But I made a prayer. I said, God, what do you want me to do next? I don't know. Show me. So um, I had a lot of people ask me, how do you uh, bounce back from the accident? How did I start my online business? How did I travel so much? So many questions. And the I don't know the best or the worst thing that happened was this magical message from my Facebook follower. Mm-hmm. She texted me and she said, uh, can I speak to you? And I'm like, okay. So I called her and 10 minutes, she said, uh, thanks for talking to me. I was just thinking of committing suicide sure. and I feel better now. Yeah. So when she said that, I'm like, of course I was like, oh, sister, if you need anything, just contact me. Da, da, da. Yeah. But when I hung up, I'm like, what am I going to do? This is not, this is serious, right? If one yeah. person reached out to you, how many more people out there need help? Yes. So I said, it's not the henna business, it's not the hijab business, it's not teaching Arabic, what is it? I said, ah, oh, maybe I can teach people how to turn their passion into profit. Maybe money is the problem. Yeah. Because I didn't have the title immediately. I was like, ah, oh, maybe I can teach people how to make money. Maybe money is the problem. So that's how we birth, turn your passion into profit. <laughs> I love that you just had that ready. <laughs> yes. I love that we're going to do that. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a <laughs> And then, and then the, the book, uh, within six weeks, 100 copies were sold. Of wow. course, again, when I was going to write, I was like, who's going to read my book? Am I kidding? Who am I kidding? Like, that, like, like all the self-limiting beliefs. But within six weeks, 100 copies sold without anything, just Facebook audience. And then, um, okay, guys, I keep saying Facebook. This is 15 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, okay? Now Facebook's a bit... <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> it's other platform. Yeah, so then I really, people started calling me, crying, asking for more. Sure. I was like, I don't know, go figure yourself out. I already gave you some tips, right? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't prepared. Then people cried, they want more. And I'm like, okay, so I did a workshop, step up workshop uh, for people together, like all the people who want to come by do mm. trainings. So workshops became training, became speaking engagements, became coaching. I have a sisterhood mentoring program. So I've put everything under the umbrella of something called step up journey. All of us is on a step up journey, a womb to tomb experience. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of programs and services do you offer on step up journey? 
So I got a couple of stuffs. Uh, one would be, of course, the book sales. We have uh, books, ebooks, audiobooks, and um, our masterclass for the books that we've written. And then uh, the other thing would be, of course, keynote speaking and then coaching. Yeah, and of course, corporate training. So what started out with just women empowerment became youth empowerment. I told yes. you this, right? Then yes. Empowerment. So youth, we have brave leadership, be a warrior, not a warrior. And yes, I love. I still love that saying: "Be a warrior, not a warrior." Not a warrior. <laughs> but we worry so much every day because we forget. We forget, but we remind ourselves. So then, with the uh, coaching of the kids, I realized that um, our parents needed help. So I grew up awakening parents, awakened parents program, uh, resilient, confident parents raise confident, compassionate kids. That was such a beautiful workshop. I'm going yeah. to write my next. So my second book is Five Things I Love About Being Women. Yes, I wanted to ask you. Yeah, because I realized that women, um, not just women, I think men also struggle the same. We doubt ourselves so much. Um, and there's a very big thing I would love to share with all of us because I think it's something we all need to realize. We mm. keep saying, I love you to the other person or something. But yeah. do you, I love you for you or do I love you for me? heal from all of those yeah. shit <laughs> yeah. that's very yes. interesting that's actually such an interesting way to look at it now you've got me thinking like oh my gosh when you say some like I love you someone there's nothing wrong obviously with loving no. someone for you because they might bring out the best in you and they're supporting and encouraging and sometimes you also need that reminder for yourself that you're a warrior not a warrior actually actually I got inspired by this when I lost my mom three years ago so uh, in her last six months before she passed, it was so difficult, right? I was going mm-hmm. through all kinds of crazy things in my head. I had to be strong for her yet inside. I was dying and breaking every single moment. And I was like, what's wrong? Like, how do I do this? Like, and I didn't have much support from my friends or people I know much because they're like, you're the motivator. What do I say to you? You know, like, what do I say okay. to this inspired woman? Like, then I realized presence is the greatest presence as well. But uh, the part about I love you for you I said when I wasn't willing to let go of my mom mm. I asked myself did I love her for her or did am I still loving her for me that yeah. got me so so sad and scared I'm like oh, all these years I like no it can't be but oh you know what I mean it yes. got me thinking that really got me thinking I'm like wow how sincere are we in and unconditional are we with things we do are we self-sacrificial because we need that attention, that holding space? We need yes. that or because we want to, out of love, like seriously, yeah. So wow. out of love, out of love is something I wrote in my second book, Five Things I Love About Being a Woman. Uh, so ART is to appreciate, respect and trust. Mm-hmm. A lot of time we expect people to appreciate us, respect us, trust us because there's this hollow space inside us. Mm-hmm. And I'm still work in progress. I'm not not angel perfect, whatever. We are all yeah. working and feel. So a lot of times we expect appreciation, respect, and trust from outside. But do we truly, truly appreciate respect and trust ourselves? Yeah. So what would be a tip that you have uh, for someone, you know? battling with that trying to look for that respect and trust in themselves how do you find your way to that point i think before we even heal from it is to understand the trigger point 
the what caused that anxiety or avoidance attachment what caused that that shakiness in us mm. yeah so back to that question all of this stems from insecurities because perhaps we all all of us struggle from a wound of abandonment and rejection yes. 100% like it or not like our my mom might have said something my dad left when I was one or all, all of us mm. are struggling that little girl or that little boy in you is struggling and and sometimes something happened let's say we have a partner and the partner is having a hard day and he he's numb he doesn't react to something you said and he goes uh-huh and I'm like Ah, now you're not listening to me yeah am I not worthy of being hurt like yeah he's so great and when we have that I use this now I say when I have the ego voice coming up I'm mm. like hey, hey little girl chill it's not, it's not about, about you ego. yeah yeah, it's not about your ego. Chill, little girl. So I ask myself, is this from that ego voice? Or is it truly that person is rude and something needs to be addressed? Yeah. And how do we communicate this with each other? It can be a sibling. It can be a, a romantic partner. It can be anything. It can be a business partner. But most importantly, you and your little girl. <laughs> Have that conversation with your little girl that, inside your head. Demon doesn't like you to be happy. It's just like, no, you're gonna get hurt. No, they're gonna cheat you. Oh my god, I tell you, it's tiring. And that's a very tough conversation sometimes to have as well. But you see, that's the the scary thing. We shouldn't guess like moments, we shouldn't like try to uh, bypass anything. If someone Mm. is being rude and being abusive and being a time waster. You need to have the healthy boundary. Yes. So first, you need to check yourself. Second, you need to ask yourself, is there anything wrong with this relationship? It's not even about the other person. Yeah. It's about, is there anything wrong with the relationship? No, it's fine. Okay, it's me. But if there's really something or someone's abusive, and I think it's important to say this because if someone's in an abusive relationship and they listen to it, oh, maybe it's just me and my Yes, yeah. No, 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 no. It's the dynamic of the conversation. Yes. The other party is your childhood, is their childhood. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's never any only one right answer, but I think if say there isn't anything fundamentally wrong with the relationship, it's not emotionally or physically abusive or maybe lackluster of love or something like that. If it's just someone's had a bad day and then you're reactive and you react, then it's like, why why am I reacting? I think that's important as well, just to come back to. And it's good for us to keep ourselves busy with activity that is uh, purposeful mm. otherwise I, I just said it to my niece do not be someone's I heard Beyonce say it to Oprah don't be someone's uh, wife until you get alive because then, I love that don't be someone's wife till you get alive yes <laughs> I love that true, right because uh, imagine if I'm feeling all these uh, insecurities and I marry someone hoping that he will bring joy and peace for mm. me no, it won't happen I'm gonna give him hell it's going to give me hell. Like, that's how divorces happen, I think. Because we don't even work on ourselves. But it doesn't mean you have to stay single all your life. Yes. Even being in any form of relationship or partnership is the one that helps you realize, oh, shit, I have this flaw. Uh, I need to work on this. Like, yeah. I need to work on this. I am tired. I want to be <laughs> single. But then that's you letting your ego win too. So yes. how do you be fiercely graceful? My new mantra this week. 
fiercely yes, graceful. And yep. speaking of fiercely graceful, there's a question I like to ask all the women that come onto the podcast: is what does feminine leadership mean to you? Oh, I like this one. Something recently that I'm practicing. It's like feminine leadership would mean to me maybe one year ago to be strong, to be so soulful, to be successful. You have to have it all. But to me, being feminine leadership today, you need to embrace your divine feminine energy. Mm. You need to be okay, not to be the one leading and to be strong. But it doesn't mean you're weak. Yeah. When you're not strong, you are allowing the masculine, the man, to man up. <laughs> yes, to man up. <laughs> yeah, we thought this is this. Yeah, thank God. So we're allowing the men to man up and to grant them the permission to use their feminine, their that divine yeah. energy. We're giving them the permission. Do you know we are stealing that from a lot of men? Mm. And that's why a lot of men are not manning up because we feel like I'm in control. I can decide. I can afford. I can do this. I can, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Okay, if you can do that, do it for yourself. Let yeah. them manage themselves. But if they need support, sometimes, yeah, you know, I mean, there's many cases... It is vice versa. Mm. Um, no, but they cannot be using us. We need to let them man up. Go yeah. do something and find ways. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, that. And then moving into the next segment, which I like to call the ABCs of your career. So, I mean, I feel like we have touched on this with you going to Singapore, but if there is another um, A moment, so A, what was your amazing affluent oprah winfrey aha moment <laughs> oh so many aha moment um wow that's difficult <laughs> so many but which one i don't know now okay wait aha moment the present one dubai i'm gonna not say this okay i will <laughs> i think a lot of times people perceive things like wow she's having a good life she's in dubai she's doing this she's taking pictures of the birch there's yeah. pictures of all this Porsche and Lamborghini. Guys, I don't own the birch or those cars. I'm still me doing what I need to do. I hustle, I write books, I do what I need. And I'm just me. But people, like I wore a black top with black shorts sitting with an Arab moon. Oh, you look like royalty. Okay, thank you. But perception. <laughs> mm. This is an aha moment for me. Not to believe everything you see. I like that. For two hours, I couldn't move. And then I'm like, God, I need to wake up. Nikki's waiting for me. And here <laughs> I am presenting. Do I only have high energy? No, I'm human. Mm. I think people need to humanize humanity. Yeah. And I'm so scared for metaverse and what's coming. I'm like, I want a farmhouse with natural spring water. Yes, yeah. No, we spoke about this metaverse. People already getting so caught up in social media and wanting this their life to look a certain way online and virtual. And then now it's just going to become worse because what if their life in the metaverse is better than in reality? Then what do you do? Stay there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Then I'm lose scared. human contact. I'm very scared. I'm very scared. And <laughs> B, what was your business blunder turned to blessing? When my business partner, then we were doing uh, our henna and body art business together. And it's just like, no, I want to do food business. And then I was like, really? Like, we've been doing this together. How? Like, I didn't know what to do. And then my mom, I was caregiving her and she started to live with my sister. Yeah. Everything just fell apart for me. And I'm like, 
I didn't know what to do with life. And that was when I had time to write my first book. There we go. Yeah. That's a beautiful yeah. blessing. Yeah, Amazon bestseller, two books. Uh, third book, The Parenting in the 21st Century coming up. Sanity Ooh. for Caregivers coming up. Just 20 other books coming up. So Love yeah. it. Amazing. Yeah. And see, what was a cinematic worthy cock-up moment? Cock-up moment? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. And so then just ending off the interview, I like to do a quick fire round of questions. So the first thing that comes to mind, um, just said. So one is if you could change people's perception about failure, what would it be? It's worse if you don't try. Yeah, it's worse if you don't try. Definitely. And two, the worst piece of advice you've ever received. Oh, uh, you're so beautiful and intelligent. Why are you not married? <laughs> oh, gosh. No. Okay, that's yeah. that's probably the worst thing I've heard. Don't get married. You need to have kids. I'm like... Okay. Sorry, why? For who? Yeah, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three, the best piece of advice you've ever received. I'm sure it's something for my mom. Oh, I know. Every time I'm I'm afraid when I'm going for a meeting or a speaking engagement or something, and I'm like, mommy, I'm so scared. It's like, why haven't you done this before? Yeah, <laughs> why you've done time. this before? <laughs> and I'm not too sure if you read a lot of fictional books or if you read uh, mostly nonfiction. So, you know, if there's a, any book that you could live in, which one would it be? Or if you don't read fictional books, what is a book that you would highly recommend? Oh, I love so many books. I, I love, I think everyone loves The Alchemist, if you have read it. Yes, that, I have right read that. it. It's beautiful. Kite Runner. I read The Kite Runner, Khaled Hossein, and that inspired me. The storytelling was so wow. I'm like, oh my God, I want to write. That's why my turn your passion into profit is the autobiography. It's like story and real life examples. Yes. And yeah, so yeah. Kite Rhino, Alchemist, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Turn your passion into profit now. Yes, turn your passion into profit. Why you love being a woman? Why yeah. you love being a woman? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the last question is, if you could have three people over for dinner, who would they be in, dead or alive? Oh, my mom. My best friend. We always eat together, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, dead or alive. Who do I want to meet? You. <laughs> Yay, that sounds like such a nice dinner party. Yeah. <laughs> so glad I cracked the nut. <laughs> Anytime, dear. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's traveling. the end of the podcast. Yes, you said you're going to be traveling to South Africa soon. So we'll, we will have dinner soon. Um, yes. That'll be amazing. But thank you so much, Sai, for joining me on the podcast. I've thank really enjoyed you. our chat. I'm sure there's, there's so many bits and information and tips that have just come in and your story is always so inspiring to hear and read about I mean this is like third time I'm going over it uh, but thank you so much for joining me today I really appreciate thank it you.